in my first game, I had to guard this guy who was a rather uh, sweaty kid. <laughs> and I remember when I was guarding him, I put my uh, forearm on his back and my forearm like stuck to his back. Oh. <laughs> and when I peeled away my arm, his jersey went with. I was like, oh my goodness. <laughs> I'm running down the court, like wiping off my arm. My coach, my coach, I still remember, was like, keep playing. <laughs> Quite a learning experience. Your first obstacle to overcome. <laughs> Yeah. The sweaty competition. As luck would have it, then later I would do that basically to other humans. <laughs> Welcome to Obstacles and Opportunities with Lowell and Julie, sharing stories, empowering mindsets. Today's guest is our friend Jared Heidinger. Jared has had many roles in life basketball star, teacher, coach, husband, father, son, and friend. He has also had many chapters in his life, and he takes us through them. From the passing of his wife, Krista, and raising his three kids as a single dad, to meeting and marrying Carrie Ann, and living with multiple sclerosis. Jared is very honest about his experience with MS, how he struggles with feelings of being a burden, the value of being part of a community or team, and the importance of perspective. Everyone has some sort of pain or struggle, and we're not as alone as we think we are. Jared has had a very eventful life, and we appreciate his wisdom and perspective. Enjoy! Yo. Jared Heidinger. How are you? Good. How are you? You're looking handsome as ever. <laughs> oh, Jared. <laughs> that is very untrue, but thank you. This is not a comedy podcast. That was a genuine comment, Jared. He <laughs> <laughs> just roasts people when they come on. <laughs> no. Compl- hey, genuine compliments. Good. <laughs> Jared Heidinger, the man, the myth, the legend. I first knew of you when I was in high school and you were in university. My brother was in university, so we used to go to the basketball games, and you were a University of Lethbridge Pronghorns basketball star. (laughs) I remember this from high school. Your brother and one of my other buddies, Jason Peters, they shaved my number in their chest my last game. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, they had no shirts on. They shaved it. They shaved it into their chest and like painted their chest with like one guy had five and the other guy had three. Mark had three, I think. It was hilarious. That's amazing. Got, it was hilarious. So you're number 53? 53, yeah. Uh, are there any pictures of that? Yeah, but I don't have any digital ones. I'll have to try and find it. Krista actually had made a scrapbook back when that was like gigantic. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Scrapbooking years. She's made a memory thing for me with all these basketball pictures and everything. Uh, Oh. I'll have to try and get that and send it to you. That's awesome. I'm trying to picture my brother with enough chest hair to do that with. Maybe he used paint (laughs) as well. (laughs) It wasn't a ton. It was pretty blonde. Pretty blonde. (laughs) Yeah. So number 53, the star. What brought you to that part of your life with uh, the passion of a sport and basketball in your life? My parents, they were really good volleyball players, and they played all kinds of sports. They had gone to, like, Canada Games oh, wow. for volleyball when they were younger. We were always running around outside, always biking, always doing whatever when you're a kid. Mm-hmm. And then playing t-ball, and my dad would play catch all the time outside with mm-hmm. me. And I played hockey a little bit, but I was, like, terrible <laughs> <laughs> so terrible. my ankles were basically was were like I, I was one of those skaters that like your ankles are bending all the time oh no the one time you get one breakaway you're like oh my goodness 
I'm on a breakaway. And then you. What do I do? Fall. You <laughs> oh. fall on your butt when you're by yourself. When you're by yourself <laughs> with the puck on your dick and you just bail. Oh, That's that... the kind of hockey player <laughs> I was. That makes for some glorious video footage. Oh, man. <laughs> And then when hockey got into checking, basically, I was like, you know what, man, I don't, I'm not all that great. And also, uh, I don't really want to get hit. Yeah, this yeah. hurts. I wasn't really a guy that like loved to just like smash people. So <laughs> I respect that. <laughs> that was like junior high. That's when people kind of make that switch, right? When they're playing those youth league sports. Yeah. Or now it's different where back in the day in Medicine Hat, there wasn't basketball club or anything. It like wasn't that. like a religion. <laughs> it's not like now where kids are just like, hey, you're this for the rest of your life. Yeah. It's too specialized too early, I feel like. Yeah. At junior high, I really want to play volleyball because my parents always did. Yeah. I asked my parents about this a little while ago because I always felt like they made me try out for the basketball team. Oh. Like I don't remember thinking I would like basketball right away. I asked them both, and they swear they didn't make me. Oh, <laughs> different memories of things. Like I asked them this, like probably six months ago. I was like, "Did oh. you guys make me try out for the team?" They're like, "No, we just said, you know, it's probably a good idea to try out, but yeah. like, we didn't make you try out." How tall were you already in junior high? Probably six feet or something like that. Okay, so it's a good fit. <laughs> yeah, it's a good fit. Started playing it, and then I ended up being. Sometimes you love something and then sometimes you start loving something because you're good at it, I think, mm, by yeah. accident, maybe. Yeah. And then it's like nice positive feedback to be good at something. For sure. So then you start enjoying it more and then I just started taking to it, I guess. I don't know where I heard about the tryout, but there's an Alberta summer games for, you know, grade eight kids. And I tried out for it, the South Zone team. And I was the only guy from Medicine Hat that made it. Oh, wow. So I got to know a bunch of different guys from Lethbridge area. Those were most of the guys that made it. And then all of a sudden you're playing with guys. You're like, whoa, these guys are good. Like <laughs> better than I had played before. Wow. You play in that and then you, you get better and then you just start. I don't know. You just keep, keep going. And I loved it. And then when did you decide or know that you would play basketball in university? The coach at L, Dave Crook. He recruited me. I got recruited by him and then uh, Medicine Hat College and um, Augustana. I wanted to play university. I just went to L. Did you know you wanted to be a teacher at that time? Is that why L stood out? I either kind of always wanted to be like a teacher, a pastor, or play professional basketball somewhere. And <laughs> That's when you're a kid, you're thinking maybe you can play professional somewhere. And I, I probably could have gone to Europe and played, get a foot in the door in lower leagues or something. But I'm six foot five, a post player. That's You're not really going to be playing on a lot of pro teams. Why? Is that short? Oh, yeah. It's so That's short. crazy. <laughs> so short. <laughs> oh, it is so short. But Krista and I had gotten married and I always wanted to teach. When I did my PS3 and everything else, then I was able to get a job here right away. But it ended up being cool that I didn't realize that L was well known for its teaching program. Yeah. And so it ended up being awesome anyways. Yeah. And did you meet Krista through basketball? Yeah, I met her through basketball. Yeah, she was uh -huh. on the women's team and then I met her that way. I remember seeing you both and thinking that you guys just fit. You guys both seemed like celebrities. You guys had a similar look, tall, <laughs> dark hair, just like, obviously, you guys were like a celebrity oh, couple so at UofL. <laughs> <laughs> that's hilarious. Yeah, she was very striking. And it was good times, man, playing 
sometimes it seems like yesterday, some of those times, like mm-hmm. you get together with all of your teammates or you see some of your teammates still such good friends with mm-hmm. some of them. That's the part that is so fun about sports. Mm-hmm. Before we move past into some newer chapters of your life, through childhood, through sport, the teams you're on, the coaches you had, yep. do you have any life lessons, anything that you remember that stands out as you're Jared Heidinger developing young man, young adult? Oh man, that's a good question. When I played for the provincial team, it was like super awkward because they would be running some drills and the coach took me to the side one time and just made me work on my shot. Just basic stuff like standing under the rim and just like fixing a shot, basically fixing how you, your mechanics mm-hmm. and you're not in any of the other drills at the time. So you realize your shot's bad. <laughs> <laughs> So then you get humbled a bit, right? Mm -hmm. But then to like understand that that's what you need at the time, then you accept it. Just being coachable, I think, is Mm. important. Like I just was like, oh, okay, you want me to do this? Okay. Like it kind of hurts your feelings when you realize you're bad at that one thing. I see some kids where they think they're a big deal, especially in smaller areas. Mm. where they think they're a big deal. Like I I remember having some players when I was coaching thinking that they were pretty good. Mm -hmm. And then we go play a team that was ranked provincially (laughs) and just get destroyed. Humbling. Yeah. When I was coaching and I'd I'd kind of be like, Oh, see you guys. (laughs) (laughs) We're not the best. (laughs) You're not as good as you think you are. You're the big fish in a small pond and then you got to go see there. Oh, there's some, there are a lot of other big ponds out there. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I think that's also what ended up helping is when I got out of Medicine Hat too, just to be able to play with these other players. Then you're like, whoa, these guys are good. Yeah. So that exposes you then to that at an early age where you're like, well, these guys are good. So then I I better be working hard. Mm. I don't know that there was any sort of like sage advice from a coach that was like something that someone said to me, but it was more of those ideas of when you expose yourself to all kinds of different playing levels that then you realize what it takes to Mm. how much you have to work yeah be humble and coachable i like that yeah there's a statement that says i want to be a learn-it-all not a know-it-all yes okay i I can learn this i can learn hard things i'll do the process and i'll work on the skill and that idea that hard work beats talent when talent doesn't work hard yeah i think that's why i made some of those teams right is because i just was keep working hard mm-hmm. yeah you work hard and hopefully it pays off yeah, yeah. A, a very appealing attitude for a coach i'm sure yeah anyone who's a coach wants that kid that would run through a wall for him yeah <laughs> as opposed to you having to light a fire mm. there's tons of people who are talented but the ones that are in the nba are the ones that worked hard yeah yeah so in university you met krista you guys both became teachers and at what point did you get married now share share maybe a bit of your love story Oh, man. We got married when it was like after my fifth year and she was finishing up her degree. We did love a lot of the same things. We both love teaching and we both really did love basketball. And a lot of it was about faith, too, that shared faith in God. I feel like I always have to qualify Christian faith now. Oh, yeah. Because some of it's so weird to me, the way that it gets represented and the way that people cling to certain hardcoreness of certain issues that make it seem not Christ-like. Yeah, it's 
You get what I'm saying? Yeah, I totally get what you're saying. But Krista went towards a faith in Christ when she met me. So then there was periods of time when she just, she wasn't sure if that was her faith or whether it was like we liked each other so much and then it was our shared faith. But then she, I, I remember then at that point when she was like, no, nah, like this is, this is something that's for my life. I'm not doing this for anyone else. This, mm-hmm. this is what I feel about the world and how I want to live in it is with a model of loving people the way Jesus loved people as the center of that. We got married while we were still in school, which was, you know, kind of a challenge on its Mm -hmm. own. But then we got jobs right away, and that was great. So I was thankful for that. Mm -hmm. So we both ended up coaching. We both always were involved in sport, and so we always kept going with that. There was a period of time where I was coaching a lot, and then that was something that Krista missed for herself because when we had kids, it wasn't like this sort of 50s relationship where Krista did all the housework and I just like came in and ate and uh, went to work and coached or something like that. When you have kids, it is difficult for both of you to do high-level athletics yeah, or even just like high school coaching. Mm-hmm. And so then after a period of time, that really was something that she missed. And we ended up getting to work with NBC Camps, which is a organization of Spokane. And they have basketball camps and volleyball camps and soccer and all kinds of stuff all over the place in the States and in Canada. I went to one in grade 10. Oh, did you go? Yeah. <laughs> Just one year. In old? In <laughs> yeah, old? Yeah, old basketball. Yeah. yeah. Although yeah. Vol- volleyball is definitely my preference. But yes, I went to the basketball camp. <laughs> Yes. So we ended up going to old and working at that. And then we also had the opportunity to direct those camps. Krista had started coaching at the university. She was an assistant coach with the women's team. Hmm. She loved it. We did NBC camps right up until like she was super pregnant with Soph. That's your third child. Yeah. We did NBC camps that summer and she came back a week early just in case she went into labor because she was like 38 weeks wow. pregnant. Wow. And then Soph was born and then she had the pulmonary embolism and that's when Krista passed away. So as a teacher, as a basketball player, as a father, you've been a role model. And your life was moving in one direction. You had this sport, this new marriage, three kids, and now a new baby, and your wife passes away. What was that time like for Jared? Yeah, so that was like, it's the worst moment of your life, man. You still almost can't believe it's real. Mm -hmm. It's like your life is like before it and after it. Mm -hmm. It's this pivot point. Yeah, everything changed in that moment. Life before Krista, life after her passing, trying to pick up the pieces. Yeah. And the way that it happened was we just got home from the hospital. And then the first night that we got home from the hospital, it was an interesting moment we had right when we first got home and we had family around and everything. And in the kitchen, Krista just like, it was like the first time she showed some sort of like, man, are we going to be able to do this kind of thing? Mm. And I just remember having that moment with her. And I haven't thought about that for a long time, actually, where we just hugged and I was like, we're going to be okay. Like, things are going to be okay. Mm. And then that next day, Sophie was starting to make some noise. She got up to feed Sophie and she came into the room because I was just kind of laying in bed a little bit. And she's like, do you remember the doctor talking about blood clots at all? Because my leg like really hurts. And I was like, no, I don't. It was just a couple of minutes later, Krista's mom was up. Uh, she was staying over at the house. My my mom and dad were there too, just to 
help with the other kids as well while we were just trying to get everything organized. And Chris's mom just started yelling for me from the front room, and that was when it all happened. The other kids went downstairs with my mom, and Chris's mom called the paramedics, and I just was like, breathe, breathe, breathe. And last thing she said was just like, Jared, I can't. And then she mm. went unconscious at that point, and right as that happened, the paramedics came in the door and did everything that they could. We went to the hospital and it was just a few days in the ICU and then it was brain death. And uh, mm. the thing that's the craziest part of all that, when you have to tell your kids, mm. when you have to tell Jackson Grace uh, that mom can't come home yeah. and will never come home. Uh. Wow, man, it's just, uh, it's the, it's the worst, uh, man. Like, must break you all over it, again. Oh, I'm balling right now. It's just, it's, it's, it's these, it's these kids where they're just Mm -hmm. like, they're looking at you like, yeah, their life is crumbling, shattered. You can make everything okay. Right. That's what you're thinking in your head. Like where the kids are looking at you going like that, everything's going to be okay. Like, and it wasn't what the crazy other parts are. The doctors are talking to you about organ donation because there's that limited amount of time where everything else is viable to help somebody else. Yeah. Mm. What a job as a doctor too, uh, right? Yeah. Like what a yeah. job where you got to like see this guy lose his wife with his young kids and then also delicately advocate for organ donation. Yeah. Like, man, what uh, day that guy had. Mm. But he was so good, this guy, man. Mm. He was so good. I just felt this feeling that Krista would have just said to me, hey, man, if we really believe what we've lived our lives by, mm-hmm. then um, you know where I'm going to be with God. And so go save some lives, right? Like, don't screw around in this horrible situation. Let's make sure that we can help others, right? That's how Krista was, all the- mm-hmm. always wanting to help other people. And- mm-hmm. But just the moment when they drove away with the ambulance to Calgary to go get all of the things that they could get, mm. man, wow. crying with my friends that were with me at the time. And then you just start kind of going forward. Do you know how many lives were improved or saved with her organs? I think it was seven because wow. there's tissue donation too, right? The actual true crazy part of it is that I went to like the Southern Alberta Organ and Tissue Donation Program They have this event every year where they have families that are organ recipients and also organ donor families where people will speak to people who have just gone through it. Like they they have an opportunity to have kind of like these, it's not like a counseling session. It's more kind of like a a celebration of the people who have donated. Mm. You then also get to hear from donor recipients, which is like a pretty powerful thing. The people that were at that event it was just so good to hear from them that they are so thankful mm. every day for that person. And they think about that person's family. Mm. So I went to that first one and it was really powerful for me. And then the organ and tissue donation group asked me if I would speak at one from the donor family side. So then I said, yeah, I'll do that. I just have always sort of thought that if someone asks me to speak about this stuff, then I'll do it. Mm. When all these things happen to you, mm-hmm. I think no matter what it is, is that you feel alone. And then when you hear about it some more, it's kind of like when you buy a vehicle 
you don't really realize how many of those vehicles exist until all of a sudden you buy one and then you see them all over the place. Mm -hmm. And that's the same thing with lots of different tough situations in life is that once you start opening up yourself about what's happened, then others start opening up Mm -hmm. as well. And then you realize, man, I'm not as alone as I thought and we can all help each other. So I spoke at that event and then we had another event where it was the doctors and nurses that were involved in your specific situation where it was like an appreciation dinner and they asked me to speak at that as well. There was another girl who spoke at it from a donor recipient perspective and she had received a cornea because her eyes had been infected from tainted solution that was for contact lenses. Oh no. She had gotten this bacteria, it was an amoeba that had started eating away at her cornea. Oh sick. And the only way that she was going to be able to see again was to get a corneal transplant. And as she was speaking, she talked about the date when she got her cornea transplant. Mm. And it was so close to when Krista passed away that I was like, what? This is so weird. We talked after a little bit and kept in touch. And it ended up being her who had received Krista's cornea. Oh, wow. I have goosebumps. It was pretty crazy. She had always thought that it was Krista, but I wasn't, you know, I just wanted to be sure. Mm -hmm. And in Canada, they don't tell you who your donations go to. You have to like write letters to the organization back and forth a bunch of different times. No direct contact with the people in order to meet the person who receives just so that the privacy issue is kept there for the recipient family and stuff. Either way, what ended up happening is because I teach Bio 30. When we found out, I actually was able to have her come to my class. Whoa. So she was able to come to my class and talk about her cornea transplant from Krista to my students. It would be very interesting to talk to those students now, yeah. a little follow-up later and yeah. like learn how that impacted. Because, oh my word, like that is quite an impactful science lesson it, in grade it was, 12. It was pretty crazy. You know, I'm like Krista's mom was able to be there, listen oh. to her speak and be so thankful. And my kids were able to be there and listen to her talk to my class. And wow. It was just like, a, it's a real story that mm. kids mm. could see. I want to try and arrange it again this year. Huh. Yeah, that would be amazing. That's just one whole section of life on its own of yeah. something that I've gone through yeah. that took its own healing and yeah. learning and counseling and support from lots of people. Yeah, That seems like one whole chapter there. Oh, for sure. And as you were talking about organ donation too, I was thinking about your connection with the Boulay family and you used to teach yeah. Logan Boulay, right? Yep. And now yep. he's like, his story is yes. national, like it's na- internationally known probably, but it started oh, a, a national movement of organ donation and you're connected with yeah. that too. Yeah. I taught Logan. Uh, Logan's real inspiration for his uh, donation was his trainer that he was working with that was a rugby coach at U of L. He had passed away and and had said he was going to get his organs donated. And so that was Logan's inspiration. Mm. But Toby, Logan's dad, had asked me to MC Logan's funeral with a couple other people just because I'd known Logan and loved that kid. He was a great student. Yeah, and a great family. And thanks to you, we got to connect with them as well mm. on this podcast. <laughs> right, that's right, that's right. I taught with Toby for so long. And so, you know, we connected on that because he knew that Krista had done that and we could talk yeah. about a little bit about that stuff. And yeah. it was amazing 
to see how Logan and this whole uh, the, the the whole thing went international, and I'm yeah. so thankful for it. There's just so much need. Yeah. Oh, for sure. It is just really about making sure you talk about that stuff with your family before that time comes. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. I was going to comment because of the incident with Krista, that kind of set a yeah. new standard for postnatal care in at least Southern Alberta. After women have babies, we're instructed very clearly to, if you have any pain in your legs or any sign of, you know, vein stuff going on to contact. Oh, it did? Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's a priority in Southern Alberta to try and avoid that happening again. So thank you, Krista. That's pretty crazy. I don't think I really even knew that. Uh, but I did hear certain things about people, like lots of people heard that story. That's for sure. Yeah, that's for sure. So she had a legacy and yeah, you're part of that, obviously. And then yeah. moving on to the next chapter, you yeah. want to tell us a little bit about Carrie Ann? Yeah. So then there's a number of years there that you're focused on your kids and trying to do your own emotional healing. I wanted to fully grieve Krista and make sure that my own mind was in a place where if I was ever to meet somebody again, that then they could be them and not some sort of place filler. Mm-hmm. I'm glad I had lots of support and everything around where. I was able to just fully invest in healing my own loss Mm -hmm. and taking care of the kids. And that's what was the important thing. Mm -hmm. And then at some point, then you're kind of wondering, I wonder if I'm ever going to have the chance to love somebody again, right? Mm -hmm. I would talk to different people and they were like, you know, when you least expect it, Mm -hmm. you'll meet someone. And I'm like, how can you least expect something (laughs) when you're trying to expect it? Uh, when you're hoping that something might happen mm. someday. And then I randomly met Carrie Ann. I'd known of her. I'd never met her. She came to like a presentation that I was doing at teacher's convention about That's using amazing. Twitter and education. And so she came to that presentation and I met her there. And I was like, what? <laughs> this is something. <laughs> uh, There's a feeling. <laughs> there is something here in my mind. I, what the heck is happening? Uh, and so then I contacted her to make sure that she ended up setting up a Twitter account <laughs> as though I was contacting all the people in my session <laughs> to make sure that they had set up a Twitter account. And I did not check every other person to make sure they had set one up. <laughs> Special privileges. There was just something there. So we just, I just kept connecting with her. I would share different resources that I would find for different teachers for different subject areas. And then we ended up talking and we went out for coffee one day and just kind of both shared all our stories because she had known my story. And then we talked about her life and we were able to just, she was just so open and honest. And it was just such a cool feeling to have such a great conversation with somebody. Mm-hmm. It was just great. Yeah. I felt so, and I hate saying blessed. Okay. Uh, <laughs> Hashtag blessed. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> so cheesy uh but it's yourself i just didn't want to say it like i'm sorry about that to every anyone who listens to this uh but i did feel i felt very grateful to like have a chance to to be in a spot where i was like you know what this is like pretty cool Mm -hmm. and it was just such a great feeling to be able to express love for somebody again Mm -hmm. 
that feeling of like you just want to care for this person and look out for what they need and join them in whatever life is, right? Mm-hmm. We got married in 2015. Has it been that long already? Yeah. yeah. My goodness. Wow, we were there. Yep. I've been friends with Carrie Ann for years and we were pregnant at the same time. And now our boys yep. play on the same soccer team. But yep. I remember around the time you guys got together, it was for those of us that knew both of you, especially, it was just such a glorious time. We all just felt very grateful for both of you. Yeah, it was so great. And and so then we got married. And then, like, honestly, it was like, I, I think uh, we were training for the ride for a reason, mm-hmm. right? And I was starting to have some little nerve, sort of weird tingly fingers and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. But when we were doing that bike ride, I talked to my physio guy. And it was just like, you know, when you're riding bike for a long time, sometimes your nerves are in a certain position. Then obviously, when you're just training and you're not used to it, then you're going to feel different sensations. But probably a couple of weeks after we got married, my foot started to hurt and it was a weird thing where it felt like there was a bone in my foot that was out of place or something like that. And my arch started dropping and then all these other weird things started to happen where I'd get these like muscle spasms that I they, they, they just would come up on me. And you know, when you get a foot cramp, like a really bad mm-hmm. one, and then you like try and straighten out your foot so that it doesn't do it. Yeah. But then eventually you succumb. Yes. <laughs> your foot's like, you're not getting away on this one. Yeah. And it just grabs and you're just like, nah, and you just have to take it. Uh. That would happen to me, but it was like a whole body thing uh. where my whole body would just like seize. And it was just, un- it's, uh, I can't describe the pain. It's, it's. Oh, well, I can, I hate it when that happens just with my feet. That happened when I was pregnant yes. a lot in bed, my feet. I cannot even imagine the whole body. Yeah. Like so that. it's just like, there's all these weird symptoms. And then I was starting to not feel certain things. They were doing all these different tests. It took like three years for them eventually to diagnose me with primary progressive MS, which is like, you don't have MS at all before. And then all of a sudden you get it and it just keeps getting worse. That's mm-hmm. just the way it goes. So how many years has it been now since you were diagnosed then? Four and a half years since the technical diagnosis. Mm. But it started in 2015, like right after we got married. Right after you get married, life is launching again. And then you get these issues and it's progressive and it's fast. And there's a perpetual grief. It seems like always you're always losing something. And now in a wheelchair, it's impacting work. So what has that journey of loss been like for you? And if you can describe also for us a little bit what your function is now. Well, I can't really use my right hand. My right arm doesn't really do much. I can't walk. I need home care four times a day now because I can't transfer to the bathroom. I used to be able to drive my vehicle that I had, but now it's I can't transfer easily. I used to be able to use hand controls, but now that my right hand is not great. And there was other things. I got a blood clot. Oh. post a treatment when we didn't know it was MS. We were trying to figure out different stuff. Doctors were trying different stuff. And so that was super scary. Uh. And then, you know, I had some surgeries on my elbows to try and uh, loosen up mm. nerves that are a little bit pinched there. You know, if people don't know what MS is, it's an autoimmune disease that attacks your nerves and the myelin on the nerves, which is this coating on the outside that essentially allows for efficient transfer of nerve impulse. So my MS lesions or these breaking down of this myelin is not in my brain where they usually find lesions. It's in my spine. It's like in my spine more. And that's why it took so long to diagnose? 
that's why it took so long to diagnose. So I haven't had more lesions, but you still can progress without increasing lesions, which is mm. annoying. Sucky, yeah. Uh, <laughs> and you're just like, what? So anyways, I had an immunosuppressant because it's supposed to help your body from, because it, it, you're attacking yourself. Uh, your immune system, just like rheumatoid arthritis or like all these other autoimmune diseases where your body's attacking itself. Because of that, though, then your immune system can't respond when you get an infection of another type as fast. Yeah. So then I, you know, I was in the hospital for a month with a urinary tract infection that was like antibiotic resistant. With MS, when one part of your body gets injured, it's like the whole rest of it also just like starts not working. It's like solidarity uh, with that other part. Yeah. It's just like, hey, we're going to not work for you at all. Aww. And then last year when I couldn't drive anymore, I'm like, Ugh. so you lose your ability to drive, which is just, man, it takes it out of you. Yeah. But I got a training ride on the city bus system so that I could, you know, learn the proper way to get on, learn the proper way to get in there. I took the bus one day to work and it was good. Then I took the bus the next day to work and there was like a detour and the bus driver turned the corner too fast and dumped my chair and Aww. me and I got a lacerated kidney mm. and I had to go in the hospital again for like two and a half weeks or whatever it was. Oh my goodness. Man, so there's all this stuff, right? And I, I was just talking to someone the other day, like I just feel like I used to cook. I used to love to grocery shop. These are all things Carrie Ann hates. And I Aww. used to be able to do all these things that I really liked to do that she hated to do. Mm. And you just feel like you sold someone a bill of goods, man. Like mm. when you get married and you never really get to be the person that you were going to be mm. for them. You felt like you just sold them this used car that blew up as soon as it came off the lot. And that is not what Carrie Ann thinks. And she doesn't treat it like that. She's like very strong person in terms of like, oh, this happened. Okay, this is what we're going to do to deal with it. Yeah. And she's very logical, which is, I think, very beneficial. Super logical. And it's more my own fight mm. to deal with this stuff. And I just talked to someone who just said to me, do you feel guilt? And I was like, yeah. Like, that's the thing I've struggled with for this whole time. And he just said, you got to, you got to stop it. You, you, got, you just got to flat out stop it. Carrie Ann's told me some of these different things. I've other people have said these things, but it's one thing to hear these things and another to try and put it into practice when you're just yeah. so annoyed. Mm -hmm. You just feel like you've let everybody down. Yeah. And sometimes I think in my own life, even through sports and stuff, a lot of my motivation in sport was not about me winning. It was more about me doing the best for the team mm. so that we could succeed together. Mm. Yeah, it's the team. What I enjoyed was like everybody having a good time. Mm. Yeah. And my role was to be as good as I could be so that it was fun to win together. Yeah. yeah. Right. Yeah. But that then leads sometimes to worrying too much about what other people think. I think, you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. You sometimes take too much on yourself when you shouldn't. The responsibility, the pleasing disease. Mm. The sports analogy that I heard was, you know, especially with NFL football is like the quarterback gets too much credit when they win and the quarterback gets too much blame when they lose. Mm -hmm. mm. It's kind of like there's a whole rest of the entire roster of the team there. Yeah. But it always seems to come down to a one player or mm -hmm. whatever. And that's just like crazy. 
that's kind of where I am right now, where I'm just honestly, it was a couple days ago where I was like, you know what, man, I really do have to just stop in my head. I have to fight away that lie that I'm a burden, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, you have a lot of people that love you and want to be around you. Jared, it's hard to wrap up a story like yours with these multiple losses and and the pain and we feel it and we feel it in our hearts and none of the listeners are compassionate and caring and hearing you're in the struggle there's love and there's guilt and there's shame and there's all of these feelings and emotions and we see that there's massive obstacles in your life so many losses and so much grief is there something you hold on to i don't think we should go live our lives looking at other people who have it worse than us for joy so that we can go well at least i'm not as bad as that person you know, I mean, I don't think that's how you got to live, but perspective, I think, is such an important piece of like every day where I try and like I lose that perspective sometimes when you get insular, when you're like in on your own brain all the time. Mm-hmm. But like when I was in the hospital all those times, the person beside me didn't want to be there either. Mm-hmm. And it was always full. Yeah, It's not like the hospital is like got empty beds all over the place. Yeah, It's like full. There's a lot of suffering. Mm. That means that a lot of people have some crap happen to them mm-hmm. that they didn't want either. Yeah. And when I realized, I was like, man, there's just a lot of people who have these struggles and have these hard times that we have to look for the perspective of or to see that, I guess. Mm-hmm. And then understand that as soon as you start talking to anybody, we all start, we pretty much start realizing right away that everyone's got stuff. Mm-hmm. And it may not be the same kind of pain. It may not be that, but we're actually not as alone as we think we are. Yeah. Everyone's fighting a grand battle. You don't want to talk about your pain or your hardships and stuff like that all the time with other people. That's not what I'm saying, but it's like Mm -hmm. just understanding it in your own brain and then Mm -hmm. being open so that other people realize that they can be open with you with their struggles. Mm -hmm. If you keep an open mind for others sometimes then it gives you your own perspective to be able to try and still come alongside other people Mm -hmm. in their situations and also realize in your own where you can keep going right yeah Mm -hmm. where you can check the things off in your life where you're like okay i can't do this but i can do this and it might not be what i dreamed of but you don't have to look too far in the world to realize that there's not a lot of people who get everything that they dream of Mm -hmm. and even the people that get everything that they think they dream of then they dream of something different too it's super weird how you don't realize what you have until I mean, that's a classic phrase that you don't realize you have till it's gone. But then you can understand the privileges in your life where you can be like, okay, I have this and I don't have these things, but that's not all that life is about. Wise words from Jared Heidinger. Yeah, so much of life is connection and relationship and you have yes. your amazing kids and Carrie Ann and your parents are still so involved yeah. in your life and Krista's yeah. mom too. So Students. And- yeah, students, yeah, colleagues, basketball friends. <laughs> I love it. So Jared, we hear grace, we hear compassion, we hear love that gets you through in this change in perspective, this change in mindset that's helped you looking at what you can versus what you can't. And we want you to know right now that you are loved 
you're cared for and you are a role model. You are an inspiration. And we declare you don't have to. Even if it's not in your bio, your Twitter bio. <laughs> <laughs> Change um, agents. <laughs> yeah, you're, you're a change agent. I'm going to hack your Twitter bio and uh, change it. <laughs> so we want you to know we, we care about you. You're loved. And oh, thank you. For our listeners, for the people who want to spread this message that these challenges, we don't want to put this fluffy bow on everything. It's not like right. it's easy or it's great or anything else. It's, mm-hmm. it's a challenge and you're living it right now. And thank you for your vulnerability to share your story with us today. Yeah, we love you, and we could talk to you forever, and thank you for being amazing and joining us. Well, no, thank, thanks, guys. I appreciate it. Good luck editing it. <laughs> Joy of my life. I do, I do enjoy it. I like hearing people's <laughs> stories over again. The whole reason we started this podcast is to learn people's stories, and uh, when I get to listen to them again and make them sound even better, <laughs> it's a pleasure. We could talk to you awesome. forever, and as a, as a friend, we'd want to do this too, but thank you for this time officially on the Obstacles and Opportunities podcast. <laughs> yeah. All right. Take it easy. Thank you. Yeah, you too. Thanks, Jared. Okay. <laughs> See ya. Bye. Bye. Uh, Jared Heidinger. As if we thought we could get his whole story in one conversation. We had to wrap that up pretty quick. It feels like that could have been a three-hour long-form podcast. The depth, the wisdom, the experience that Jared's gone through and his mindset towards it as an educator, as somebody connected to sport, as somebody who loves his wife, somebody who loves his children. We didn't even get an update on his kids. I wanted to know their ages and where they're at these mm-hmm. days and a little more on Carrie Ann. We left you wanting more. We left ourselves <laughs> wanting more. But a depth of wisdom and knowledge, love, and life experience. Mm-hmm. This early experience of sport for fun and finding that passion and almost starting to like it because he was good at it. He's mm-hmm. a tall dude. Then this movement into university level sports, marriage, passion, starting a family, and then the devastation, the grief of the sudden mm-hmm. loss of his wife, Krista, and just the turmoil that that caused to hear his heart ache in that process. And, and even this understanding of being able to have her organs be donated and then the impact that that had on other people. What a story. Yes, it's pretty incredible. And then to start up, to have this new, fresh love connection with Carrie Ann, a wonderful mm-hmm. human being. <laughs> um, fun to have seen that sparking and growing. And then what a wonderful, amazing human being she is to kind of journey with them through all of this with an amazing attitude and her own mindset. Yeah, they make a great team. An amazing team. Yeah, it takes a great team. I have a good team too. <laughs> I like to think so. Yeah, I get to catch up with Carrie Ann quite a bit because our boys play on the same soccer team. So she is no stranger to us. Mm-hmm. It takes a team to journey through. And with this perpetual loss, this perpetual grief that he's going through, continuing to lose parts of his functioning and the impacts of that on her, on the family, on the unit, on their future, on their dreams. There's lots of grief and loss. We can't get stuck in what ifs, what ifs, could have, should have. It's acceptance moving through what can we do and feeling many of the feelings through it. So you may have heard through his voice, the pain, the struggle that he's currently in and continuing to to journey through, but finding that hope, finding the courage to go through each day. There were several things that he said that reminded me of your journey because while it's a different loss with his physical abilities with MS, it's similar to your vision loss in that you're just always losing more day by day and you used to have so much more independence visually and that's like him just with mobility Mm -hmm. 
Mm. You guys are both experiencing that same kind of perpetual loss. Mm. And the guilt of not wanting to be a burden, Mm -hmm. of actually wanting to be the support system to help, to cook, to clean, to drive, to do all these things, and to not be able to do that, to actually the opposite, feel more like a burden. Ah, it's a heavy weight. So lots but you of know you're not, right? Yeah, it's still a feeling. And I think yeah. there are times when it, it is more challenging. It is difficult. So knowing that, that shared feeling, that shared experience of having the guilt and not wanting to be a burden, but sometimes feeling like we are, but knowing yeah, we're supported through that. So lots of love to Jared. Lots of love to Carrie ann and the family. Lots support. of love to you. You're not a burden. <laughs> Thank, <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> you're welcome. Yeah, just lots of love all around. Hopefully we get another podcast conversation in before too long. Life has been great, full, busy. Podcasting just hasn't been as frequent as we mm-hmm. would have liked. But, you know, hopefully we'll get a few more conversations in in the next couple of years. Definitely will. Definitely <laughs> will. We have a conversation coming up with Ed Veal and myself. Ed has gone through quite a big life event and we're joining each other at a training camp and during the training camp i'm going to catch up with mr ed veal the real deal and have a conversation about what the last part of this year has looked like and as we focus towards 2023 so stay tuned for that yeah a conversation sans moi which i look forward to editing it should be a good time so stay tuned it always is a good time with those two so you too Thank you, everybody, for being on this journey with us, for continuing to look for the obstacles and turning them into opportunities in your life. We love you lots. Take care. Thanks for listening. Bye.